Sermon Smash. Hey everybody, this is Michael Poff. Welcome to Sermon Smash Bros. And this is Matthew Jones. The Sermon Smash Bros is a podcast where preachers are invited to deconstruct their sermons right before your very ears. Michael, episode seven. How's it going? It's going good. Today we have a guest on our podcast. Yes, we do. Hello, Pastor Mary. <laughs> Hi. Tell us where you're at. Um, well, I'm Pastor Mary Leroy, Congregational Care Pastor at College Church of the Nazarene, and I am here recording with you also my intensely hilarious <laughs> life story, yes. which is super interesting. And where I'm at is just really pumped about summer. My kids are yes. almost home, which really I'm not super pumped about, but I am super pumped <laughs> about. And I want a garden. What about you? <laughs> I am good at Celebrate Life at Olivet, yep. and so that's always an exciting time. There's lots of teenagers running around. Oh, I went golfing today, Yeah, and that's, that's about I it. saw a teenager with dreadlocks, really beautiful dreadlocks. <laughs> oh, really? And a mohawk. Did you see the guy with the oh, mohawk? Oh, yes. I yeah. did not, but I feel the angst of the teenagers <laughs> when I'm walking around. I'm I... like, oh, my. <laughs> I like, felt that's funny because I felt in solidarity with them. Does that mean <laughs> I have mom angst that I'm like super imposing onto them or like letting I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. It's really hard to say, but they, in other news, I'm loving the Great British Bake Off. So <laughs> Oh my goodness. I finished it and now I'm watching the Great British Master Class with Paul what? and Mary. Oh my goodness. I didn't even know about that. You've changed my life. Well, it's not quite as good, and I will tell you, you're going to want to bake afterwards because I've already made three loaves of bread since then. All failures. Well, not total failures because my family will eat anything that even remotely looks like bread. But I was like, oh, Mary would be so disappointed in this. It does not have a good sound on the bottom. Yeah, soggy bottom, right? Well, I didn't make pastry. Oh, okay. Just pizza or just crust yeah yeah i am amazed with my homemakerness because if you knew if you could if you people could see me right now you would not think mary lira is a homemaker but i am a gardener and a bread baker amen. this week amen that's awesome well mary thank you for being here we're so excited about the project we're working on with you thanks for uh sitting in with us today and as we introduce this episode michael who's on the podcast today Speaking of bread makers, <laughs> we, we have Alicia McClintock from Hayward Church of the Nazarene in on North Cow District. Yeah, yeah. We sat down with her at the Young Clergy Conference back in March and had a great time talking about preaching and bread and all kinds of wonderful things. So without further ado, Alicia McClintock. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sermon Smash Bros. Today we have Alicia McClintock from Hayward Church of the Nazarene. Uh, welcome. So good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, great. We're glad to have you. Well, our first question is, what is the big move you're making in this sermon? Mm, well, I'm starting from a text that I assumed most of the people listening had heard before, but I wanted them to hear it in a different way. Um, this sermon was rather unique because I was speaking to a particular context uh, full of young clergy. Um, so I, I had hoped to be able to communicate themes of hospitality that were um, encouraging and also prophetic in a way to call those people into um, something. 
Um, so that's that's ultimately the move I'm making, I think, in the sermon, to present the text, have us turn it over, hear it in a different way, and then think about what that means for us moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Share a little bit about the text itself, and, and you did such a good job of bringing the whole story to life and shared uh, some of your passion along with that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was preaching from the book of Ruth, honing in on the quintessential poetic verses of the first chapter, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay, um, that Ruth says to Naomi. And um, the theme for this conference is hospitality. And those words kept striking me as deeply hospitable. But the more that I thought about the story and the way that hospitality is expressed throughout the whole thing, from Naomi and Ruth um, to Ruth and Boaz to a family redeemed at the end of the story, it just seemed to me that there was something different going on there. And so I wanted us to, to take a chance to dive in dive in deep there. Um, and that's, I think, pretty characteristic of my preaching to start with the big story. My background is in literature and um, English, a lot of reading and writing, um, and I find stories deeply powerful. And I think in so many ways that formation has shaped the preacher and pastor I am, um, that it's just deeply about telling stories, finding us caught up in the big story of God and figuring out how the story of God then um, shapes our individual stories. So those are the things that I'm always kind of um, merging together, asking the questions, what does this text say about who God is, who we are as the people of God, and how then do we live in light of who God is and who we are as God's people? Amen. Specifically, how did you choose this text? Yes, I... um, did some brainstorming. The The conference here had a specific theme. So I thought about where is there hospitality in the scriptures? Where could I find a story about hospitality? And I turned over a couple of options in my head. I thought about um, the story in Genesis where Abraham entertains three strangers and um, they stop by the way and uh, they bake bread and uh, have a feast and then... Um, Abraham realizes that he was entertaining angels um, on their way. And so I thought about that passage. Um, I thought about uh, a, a couple others as well, like some some stories in the Gospels where Jesus extends a lot of hospitality. Mm. Um, I'm deeply rooted in table fellowship, of eating together and breaking bread, and I wanted to talk about some of those practices. Um, and so the, those were rolling in my mind as I was thinking about what to pick. Uh, but also, to be honest, I was really overwhelmed by this preaching moment. Preaching to a bunch of other preachers is really intimidating. <laughs> and I just didn't know where to start. And I, I was feeling kind of overwhelmed by too many good options. So I asked some people who I know and trusted, some friends and colleagues. And I said, what should I pick? What should I do? And it was uh, another pastor who recommended the Book of Ruth. And at first... I was like, well, yeah, I thought about that, but I don't want to be like the girl who talks about the women's text. I doubt you have experienced this, but in my life growing up in church, the books that women are allowed to study in Bible study are Ruth and Esther. (laughs) And I didn't want to be the the girl who talks about that text, Mm but... um, the more I thought about it, the more and the more I read the text and the more I listened to it in my own life and let my story resonate with 
the story in the text and God's story and what I think the story of young clergy con is and where we're moving, the more that seemed a really appropriate place to land. Um, yeah, so that's a long way to answer the question. Yeah. I thought a lot about it, I did some brainstorming, and then ultimately asked for some advice from some other friends, and that kind of landed me in this direction. That's, cool. that's great, that's great. So now you have the text before you, you've decided against the other options, you've chose this text. Uh, what is your first step in, in sermon preparation? You already described it. It's a lot of reflection and, mm-hmm. and kind of discernment, um, but when you are sitting down to make the the blank space not blank anymore. What what do you where do you start? What's your first step? Yeah, the first step is to get a, a sense of the big picture. So I read the the whole book all the way through, and mm-hmm. part of that was trying to trying to hone in on a particular character or a particular scene. Uh, I knew I wanted to talk about the book of Ruth, but it just seemed really rich, and I was trying to decide where to land exactly. So first started reading the whole book, and it's short, so you can read the whole thing over and over again. If I were preaching, say, from an epistle or um, Um, yeah, another short book, I would do the same thing, just try to read the whole Mm -hmm. thing and get the whole scope. Um, Or even from one of the Gospels to read like the big section in which that text was found to get a sense of the movement of the of the broader story, and then how that particular passage fits into the big picture. So I I start there. Um, And then Uh, one of the things that I do personally to just spend some time slowly reflectively reading scripture is I write it out by hand. Um, I do a little Mm -hmm. bit of like calligraphy and hand lettering and so that forces me to pay attention to one word at a time and just slowly let those let those words kind of sit in my heart Um, and I I scratch it out on the back of like like big pieces of paper like big butcher paper and then I tape it up on the wall so that I can see it. Mm. Uh, So it's not just um, reading the scripture kind of over and over again until I get a big sense of where the passage is going or where how the big story is moving. Then I can zone in on a particular passage and I'll write it out. And it's a creative way, a tangible way to kind of get the scripture in my mind. And then I tape it up where I can see it. So it's, I'm kind of reminded of it all the time. Um, And then I just am thinking about it quite a lot uh, Nadia Boltz Weber talks about her preaching process as a very uninteresting mental illness, that she's just obsessed with scripture and is just thinking about it all the time. And I find that that really resonates with me that, um, yeah, that's the, that's the first step. I just am reading the scripture and then trying to have it in front of me, um, as, as much as possible. I find that that's maybe the most helpful in planting seeds for where a sermon is going to go. Just, um, having the scripture in my mind and letting that be the lens in which I'm, uh, yeah, I'm continuing to live my daily life and it's kind of cooking in the back of my mind. That's great. You mentioned Nadia Boltz Weber. Is there a certain book that uh, maybe she's written, something that's inspired you, or that she talks about that particular subject in? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Her first book is called Pastrix, which is her affectionate name for women pastors, and it's basically her story of calling. And so that's been a particular helpful um, 
story in line with my own story. Um, but I actually think I heard her say that when she came to give a talk um, mm-hmm. and she talks about her her preaching process um, there or she talks about her life as a pastor. Uh, so I think I heard her say that on a book tour. Um, she also is a guest on a podcast called On Being where she's interviewed by Krista Tippett who's a fantastic interviewer and asks really excellent questions. And so I think Nadia might say something about preaching there on that podcast. I'm sure y'all can link to it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Can you describe your sermon preparation ritual? For example, Matt Matt goes to the diner uh, to prepare for his sermons. Yeah. Um, uh, I pull out my Bible, the one I've had for the longest with the most sort of scratches in the margins. And that's where I start. It's helpful for me to know how I've read a text in the past and how that's been um, working on me before. It's a helpful memory jog. Um, yeah, so uh, I usually, I'm not sure I have a, a set place where I begin, um, but it usually begins in some place cozy and quiet. Um, I like to read by natural light. So sometimes that's outside or by a window or, or someplace like that. Um, there's, I guess there is a particular chair in my house that I'm fond of (laughs) by a window, uh, quiet where I can just, again, sit and read the scripture and give, give myself time and space to, to think and to let the words settle in my heart. And then I'll move to a table, probably the kitchen table if I'm at home where I can begin kind of handwriting and doodling and jotting down some notes. It, it really starts with just letting my mind be free to to put down all kinds of associations um i'm not at all like a bullet point preacher or even kind of linear i remember that was a really difficult um uh, a difficult realization to come to because when i was first starting to preach the the pastor who was doing his best to kind of coach me was a very like linear sort of person so he would read a text and like make an outline you know bullet points roman numerals that sort of thing have a skeleton and then fill it in and the more i tried to do that the more i felt like this isn't me i can't do this my my preaching process is much more chaotic at the beginning um uh my top five strengths from StrengthsFinder are input, learner, and connectedness, or at least those are the top three that I really resonate with. And I'm constantly inputting information and then kind of drawing connections between them. So I learned that I needed to give myself free reign to explore those connections, to just uh, jot down everything that came to my mind. And I would sometimes feel myself drawn to a particular novel on the shelf, or I would find myself kind of thinking about a movie I'd seen or um, a poem I had read. And when I was trying to fit myself into the mold of the outline sort of preacher I considered those things distractions Um, but when I freed myself from the tyranny of the outline I realized that those um, those fragments of poetry or those scenes from movies or scenes from books that would come into my mind were really the beginnings of connections um, that would end up be end up being really fruitful later so giving myself permission to have a really chaotic process where I'm just kind of noting ideas and putting down quotes or or earmarking passages in other books that I'm reading and letting kind of everything I'm doing at that time speak into my preaching 
practice and then later forming and shaping and drawing the connections and seeing what's helpful for that moment and what maybe stays on the cutting room floor or is for another time. Um, yeah, so maybe the shorter answer is to say I usually, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, usually start my preaching prep at home where I'm most where m most of my library is accessible, where I can read the scripture, sit down at the kitchen table, do some doodling and sketching, and then kind of reach for the books that I feel myself kind of leaning toward and let those all sort of speak together. Yeah, it's good. Imagine uh, that you're talking with a pastor who has been in ministry for a long time, and they have done a very traditional outline kind of three-point sermon um, because that's what they were taught and that's what they're comfortable mm -hmm. with. But maybe they remember a time when they thought, I don't know if this is really me, but have never maybe had the courage to try anything else. Um, mm. Could you encourage them? Uh, maybe try to offer them some courage to try something and maybe a little first step for them to take uh, into that place of chaos um, <laughs> out of which creation can begin to happen? Oh, gosh, that's a that's a good question. Um, hmm. I would say... Um, to maybe one of those older, more experienced pastors who have been preaching in one kind of one way for a while, I'd maybe point them to a few preachers who preach pretty differently, maybe point them to somebody who preaches in a more narrative way. Or I would, I would even point them to other forms of storytelling. Um, maybe that's a film or a novel or a collection of short stories or some poetry or, or other sorts of ways that we communicate. And I would encourage them to see if they could find something that resonated with them or something that could speak into the process of their preaching. I'm sorry, I'm not sure that's making any sense. Maybe. No, it's great. Well, could um, you um, could you name names? If, if, oh, you, yeah. if you would, if you, could you like yeah. maybe... Uh, say a yeah. preacher that um, would be a good example of that okay. or okay. or also maybe a book like a, yeah. a short story or mm -hmm. a film. I think one of the books that was most helpful to me when I was discovering that maybe my preaching process or the, pro the process of sermon creation was different than this kind of traditional outline centered um, linear flow um, process that I was being exposed to it was the book called Birthing the Sermon by Jana Childers, I believe. It's a collection of essays written by women preachers from across various kinds of uh, traditions and denominations. And hearing them talk about the preaching process like birthing, um, I'm not a mother, so I don't I can't resonate with that experience physically, but I could resonate with that experience as a preacher and as a writer and as a storyteller that, that it was, um, that, that my preaching process was this place of chaos, almost this place of, of growth and amassing of information and ideas and connections and images, and then sort of forcing all of that, well, not maybe not forcing, but like beginning to gather that into some cohesive text and forming it together and then um, pushing it out into its final form and then delivering it on Sunday morning felt very much like the process of birthing. And so that uh, that book was really helpful in seeing like, oh, other preachers think the way that I do about this, that it's not uh, like 
Yeah, that's not like building blocks or Lincoln logs or one piece leads into the next, but it's more like it's more like the chaos of uh, of birthing or maybe mm-hmm. planting a seed and letting it grow, giving it space, um, and then coming back to it and seeing what has developed. Um, so birthing the sermon by Jana Childers. Um, and then other preachers that have been uh, formative in, in my life, I would mention um, Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, she is from the Episcopalian tradition, so her homilies are pretty short, like 12 or 15 minutes, um, but they're, they're collected. She's got quite a few collections of sermons. Um, I'd recommend Seeds from Heaven. They're her sermons from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so that's a good place to start. Um, most of us, I think, would be familiar with some of those kingdom parables and the Gospel of Matthew. And then to uh, read her sermons about kind of telling stories and um, a, in a little bit more of a narrative preaching style. Um, and then just a pastor who I've worked with in California who I admire greatly. His name is Jay Kim. He works at a church called Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz. So I mean, he's not well-known or hasn't published a book or anything like that, but uh, you could find his his preaching over at Vintage Faith Church on some of their podcasts. But Jay was one of my early mentors when I was beginning to preach, and he has such a gift for kind of um, picking a centralized image and kind of gathering a congregation's attention on that image and then uh using that image or metaphor to point people forward to uh, to God. Yeah, was, um, I'm not sure he would use this word necessarily, but for me, his preaching was always kind of iconic, like an icon, right? So there'd be a, a central image or guiding metaphor that would then be a window to kind of what God was doing in the text. And so, I mean, just hearing him preach, but then also h- having him help me in the early phases of my preaching development was was really helpful. I think those would be some good places to start. What were some resources that you used to prepare for the sermon? I'm a student at Fuller Theological Seminary, um, and as such, I've got access to a great theological library. So I just went downstairs to the stacks and found the commentaries on Ruth and kind of thumbed through the shelves until I found um, a couple that spoke to me. There's surprisingly not a lot, or Ruth is folded into some other things like Joshua and Judges or um, other things. Uh, so there there are a couple of um, of commentaries that I go to pretty frequently, especially for preaching, because they're, they're more conversational, more narrative-focused, less uh, like academic or or um, theologically centered, but less the kind of stuff I would go to if I were writing a paper and more the stuff I would go to when I wanted to talk to people, if that makes sense. Um, so Interpretation is a great commentary series that's been really helpful for me in teaching and preaching. I mean, it's not the kind of commentary that I'd use in the academic setting, but it's a great commentary for teaching and preaching. And then the For Everyone series, um, that one's made most famous, I think, by N.T. Wright. He, he does the New Testament stuff, but John Golden Gay does the Old Testament volumes, and they're quite excellent as well. He was my prof. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I promise I wasn't paid to say that. <laughs> um, so I, I think I started with those two, the interpretation commentary and the Old Testament for everyone, and both of them were really short. So I was able to read like 
read at least I think Old Testament for everyone in about an hour and a half or so and then um, uh, interpretation was a little bit longer so that took me maybe two hours but but those are pretty quick to kind of read the whole story of Ruth and then read the the whole commentary. Um, you can't always do that, right? Like you can't read the whole commentary for the book of Matthew when you're preaching <laughs> one parable. Um, but but th- those two were really helpful for this particular sermon. And then um, let me th- let me think what what else did I go to? Oh, you know what is a, a fun resource, especially for narrative preaching is the Bible Project. Um, they've they're a channel on YouTube, um, and they're really committed to helping people see the Bible as one overarching story, especially one that leads to Christ. And while I have some theological differences about a strictly Christological reading of the story of the Bible, their work has been really um, beautiful and well done. Uh, They create um, really artistic and lovely um, representations of uh, scripture's outline and form. Um, So they've got a read scripture series where each, um, uh, each video is maybe five or seven minutes long um, and it, it details like the outline of the whole book and then offers like a little bit of commentary so their video on the on the book of Ruth was really helpful and kind of giving me an idea of how I might communicate the whole story of Ruth in a short way because uh, obviously I didn't have like an hour-long lecture to talk about all the nuances of the book before getting to my passage. I had mm-hmm. a couple minutes at the intro to tell the story. And so uh, using the Bible Project video as a, a sort of touchstone or example to say, oh, this is how some people have done it, it helped me kind of find my own words for that. That's good. So um, you have the chaos in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you describe maybe either for this sermon in particular or just kind of in general, that moment when you see that thing that's going to determine what is not going to make it mm. into the sermon, um, that moment where you realize that's the message, that's what everything else is going to fall under. Yes. Could you describe maybe how you feel in that moment or maybe how you get to that point? Yes. Um, it's for this sermon in particular, and I think usually it's a slow dawning revelation where like little pieces seem to fall into place. Um I'm an amateur bread baker. I like to bake bread. Uh, I'm a little bit behind on my weekly practice of bread baking, but um, when I'm in the zone, I'm baking a loaf of bread a week, and I'm usually sharing it with my church community, and we're breaking it together. Um, So because of that, I've been reading voraciously a bunch of books about baking and uh, and bread in particular. and so because of that, I think my eyes were finally attuned to the bread and harvest imagery in the book of Ruth. And so I started mulling that over. There's a couple of, of images that really stuck out to me that Bethlehem means house of bread and it happens at the barley harvest. And um, yeah, there's just like a lot of that imagery going on. And then I think there's just something so essential to hospitality in the breaking of bread so I think that was that was the moment where I when I noticed that I was like okay there's something there that I want to explore um and and to begin to notice those those connections a little bit more um yeah and and then the other piece is just continuing to pay attention to the context and the people to whom I would be preaching knowing yeah, that we're here at Young Clergy Con um, to be encouraged, to be um, 
filled up and to be sent out um, and and thinking about my own story uh, and and what I wanted to celebrate and what I would need in that moment helped me um, to to zone in on this invitation that Ruth offers to Naomi to see a different way. Um, uh, and so then once I saw those two pieces begin to come together, I began to fill in the details of like, okay, how does one piece lead into the next? Um, how do we talk about um, practicing hospitality and offering an invitation to the broader church community or the world around us, an invitation that might not be received well or um, might not even be wanted or expected, and to begin to piece some of those things together. Quick question. Was the bread we had today, did you make that? Yes, I baked oh, it last night. That's so cool. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. uh, yeah, I think so. It's And it's really fun to share. It's it's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And, okay, well, cool. I, I think that like that was the other piece as well. I I realized that I'd been, um, I've been recently installed as the lead pastor of my church, and we've been receiving communion every week, and I have been preaching in a way that leads us to the Eucharist every week. And so I realized that I'd been thinking that as I'd, I'd been thinking that and sort of assuming that as I was thinking about um, preaching to this group. And I had to send a text to Britt really quick, like, is it okay if we end in communion? And she said, yes, the more Eucharist, the better. And yeah. I said, Perfect. That's what I thought. But it's sort of seeing some of those connections fit together and realizing that I wanted to, I wanted us to end with breaking bread together. And, and how do we, how do we get there? That's great. How is this sermon responding theologically to the theme of the conference? Yeah. The theme of the conference is hospitality, specifically hospitality to the other. So I think when we think about responding theologically, maybe I'll use the same questions that I used earlier. Um, When I say, let's think theologically about this, what I mean is, how do we think about who God is, who we are as God's people, and how then we live in, in, in light of who we are as God's people and in light of who God is? Um, so thinking theologically about hospitality pointed me back to the scriptures where I hear the stories of who God is and who God's people are and then how then we live according to who God is and who we are as God's people. And the the story of Ruth is really interesting because God isn't mentioned, like hardly at all. Um, God's name appears in some prayers and some blessings, and God is mentioned sort of bookending the narrative, doing the things that only God can do, like only God can relieve famine and give the people bread, and only God can give life and, and end barrenness, like Ruth has a baby at the end of the story. Um, so God's mentioned sort of very, very briefly, but in the middle of the story is just God's people living into who God has called them to be. Um, the first line of the book is in the days when the judges ruled, which reminds us of all those dark and violent and uh, pretty terrible stories in the book of Judges where um, the people of God are not living the way God has called them to live. And so then in contrast, Ruth is this like like oasis of shalom and peace and a Torah-loving people and all of that sort of stuff. So um, reading a story that 
represents people responding theologically um, to the world. The, the story is about God's people, this community in this little town in Bethlehem, um, who are living out God's welcome, who are faithful to Torah, to those commandments that care for the orphan and the widow and the marginalized. Um, like that, that really spoke to me. And I think was a great theological launch point to respond to the theme of the conference of hospitality, to kind of point us to a story about God, about God's people and about how God's people ought to live. And so then from that point to say like, okay, what does that mean for us who are gathered in that room today? Like, I don't, think any of you are farmers who can leave space in your fields for people to come and glean um not there there's some cultural um constraints that need to be translated a little bit and what what it seemed to me was the place where where we might be called to offer god's hospitality was um I intentionally avoided this word in the sermon this morning, but like intergenerational conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, this is young clergy conference. Like we've gathered together because we feel that we need a space where we can be ourselves amongst peers, where we can gather this sense of hope again, kind of gather into us the hope and encouragement that we have in our denomination um, so that we can be sent forth from this place to continue to invite ourselves to the table to show up in those spaces to um, speak the hope that we have for the future of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, but to do that from a place that says we can imagine another way um, than the way that we're going, but a way that's in line with who God is and who we are called to be as God's people. More broadly, um, in your preaching in your home church, is there a a theological idea that you want your people to hear every week, regardless mm. of the text, regardless of the message that you're bringing, uh, the the portrait of God that you're trying to paint for your people. Can you share about that? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I hope my people come and hear that they are loved. Mm. Um, that's deeply important to me. Um, and... Uh, Oh, goodness, I'm going to sound like a fangirl, but to quote Nadia Boltz-Weber again, um, uh, again, I think this isn't a talk that I heard her say, but it's so deeply impactful for me. Um, She talks about the ways in which she wants to bring her people face-to-face with the death and resurrection of Jesus Mm -hmm. every week. Mm -hmm. And that for me, um, I hadn't put it into words before I heard her say that, but I knew that that's it. That's what I want my people to hear every week, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again, and the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. So be empowered to live a holy life. Go in peace. That's that's what I hope they hear every week. And so Nadia Boltz-Weber, she's, um, yeah, she's uh, pretty, she's pretty badass. Can I say that on the podcast? Yeah. I don't even know. Anyway, but she she's a little bit more graphic in her language. She says, I want to slay my people and bring them back to life again. And I'm I'm not quite sure I'm that <laughs> hardcore, um, but I want my people to encounter the death and resurrection of Jesus every week. Um, that's one of the reasons I think why we end with the Eucharist every time. I want them to come to the table um, to encounter the death and resurrection of Jesus and then to go forth in that peace in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's great. That's great. How did this sermon transform you? Mm. 
Wow, that's a good question. Well, I'm not sure if this is exactly what you mean, but um, preaching at Young Clergy Conference, I've mentioned already, was a little bit of an intimidating task. Um, and to be honest, uh, the voices of self-doubt have been kind of a constant companion in my life uh, through significant work and wonderful experiences. I've turned down those voices quite a lot, so they're they're no longer overpowering to me and they haven't been for a long time, but it's still kind of a constant companion, uh, if I'm honest. So the idea of being invited to a stage where I wasn't sure I was the most qualified or most capable or um, just feeling that anyone else in the room could have been doing what I was doing, I felt just a little bit overwhelmed, if I'm absolutely honest. Uh, but this opportunity to preach and then the work of preparing to preach really spoke to me in that moment and um i just heard the spirit whisper to me you have permission to preach boldly um you belong there um you've been invited people are hoping to hear from you and um yeah so so that in itself the preparing even just the occasion being invited was transformational to me in my personal faith journey and then in my identity as a pastor and a preacher so I don't know if I can maybe specifically point to the content of the sermon that was transformational but just the occasion and being invited was a, a very transformative process um, so much so that I was able to show up this morning to preach knowing I belong here right uh, I was preemptively nervous um, but in the moment just felt completely at peace so normally we ask our guests um, how they hope this sermon will affect their congregation's lived ecclesiology. Mm. But because we're here at Young Clergy Con, we get to ask you a little bit bigger question. Uh, and how do you hope this message, this text, this sermon will shape the lived ecclesiology of our denominational leadership that was gathered this morning? Yeah, I hope and pray that young pastors go forth from this place knowing that their voice is important and, and and it matters even if the if we're using the image of Ruth and Naomi like Ruth who offers an invitation to Naomi as Ruth insists I will go with you where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay and that's in the face of Naomi saying to Ruth go home get out of here like you don't you don't want to come with me um and yet Ruth still insists no I'm gonna come with you and and offers Naomi a different way forward so I hope that the young pastors and preachers and the aspiring young pastors and preachers can move from this place and be able to speak with grace and kindness and love and persistence and commitment to the broader denomination to say, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay. But also, as I go and stay with you, we're moving into something different um, and we're moving together along the way companions on the journey but we're also moving into something different and to be persistent in that um i i guess one of the things i was preaching to myself this morning was a reminder of my commitment to the church of the nazarene i fell in love with a with a church that served poor and hungry people and was deeply faithful to where god was calling them to be and to what has always resonated with me as the the 
roots of a rich holiness tradition. Um, and, and when I stumbled into that church, I said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. And so I've now found myself in a similar community um, on the outskirts, uh, people who are poor and hungry. Um, and, and I'm reminded that I'm there because I said to the Church of the Nazarene, where you go, I'll go, where you stay, I'll stay, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, the God who feeds hungry people, the God who cares for the poor and the outcast and the marginalized. That's, that's the God that I'm covenanting with. Um, and so that's shaping my ecclesiology as I move into an assignment that looks difficult to a lot of people but is beautiful and compelling to me and is exactly where I want to be. So we talked about how you baked the bread that Mm -hmm. you used uh, for communion this morning and that's something you do every week in your home church is that right? No I wish I did it every week. Um, Yeah uh, it's been two months for me in the new assignment so I'm a little bit behind on the on the weekly bread baking game but um but there there was a season uh earlier in the fall where I was baking a loaf every week and then we would share it together yeah um so what what do you think um when when somebody knows who's made the bread that they're mm -hmm. about to eat that's now been proclaimed to be the body of Christ. Do you think that does anything to that moment? Um, Mm. Does that shape it and form it or maybe put it in a different frame? Mm, That's a good question. Um, Especially thinking about hospitality. You know what I mean? For for me to recognize that I'm about to come forward and take something that you literally took the time the night before of a conference, you know, to to make this (laughs) for us, that communicated something more than it would have been if it was a, you know, I saw it come out of the plastic, you know? Totally, totally. Yeah, and, and for me, it's a meditative and sacred process. It's a, it's a process that takes time um, and attention. Um, it's very Brother Lawrence-y, just <laughs> attentive to the meditative details of ordinary living. Um, and so, like, as it's baking, I'm thinking about the people to whom I'm going to serve it. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful to to God. There's a Jewish blessing that says, praise to you, God Almighty, you bring forth bread from the earth. Um, and so I think about that when I'm when I'm baking. It's very, to me, I mean, it's much more meaningful and meditative and prayerful than pulling it out of the plastic. Not that that's a bad thing. I've totally done that before. Um, did that last week at, at my home church just because not everyone, not yeah, not everyone has the skills or the time to do it, but um, but I think it it definitely at least me as the as the celebrant or or server of communion really changes that moment to be able to bring something that I've made to the altar feels like a very significant offering, and then to break it, bless it, and give it to the people um, is is. Yeah. And and I think that homemade bread just tastes really yeah, good. Yeah, and yeah. so to have people uh, revel in in bread that tastes good is is sweet. Literally, I I think that the body of Christ ought to taste sweet yeah. to us. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. Sweet. Thanks so much for having me. You're